All right, uh, it w- we're going to get there, uh, but we're going to be in Psalms 11 today, um, just so you guys can uh, start getting your um, Bibles ready. Uh, we have been talking about God's will, His will for us, and one of the major ways we know His will is through Scripture, is through the Word of God. Uh, when we are uh, uh, diving in today, uh, I'm just letting you know that we are just... Uh, this is not going to be an exhaustive uh, a thing because this is a deep, uh, a deep lesson of Bible study and how to read Scripture and some of that. But this is uh, some good points and some points to start us thinking about understanding God's will properly, His will properly. Um, if you do anything, you want to do it well, correct? So if we were putting together a car, you would want all the pieces to cut of the car to work properly, correct? You're not going to take time off when you're putting the brakes together. Because if so, that would lead to a wreck. Because you couldn't. Uh, you want to put the navigation system together well. Because if you don't do that, you don't get to the right spot. You want to make sure you put the tires together or the glass together because you don't want broken glass everywhere. You know, as whatever you do, whenever you put it together, and whenever you put something together, you then have a finished product. But you want to do it well. You can't take places off. And that's sort of what we're going to be talking about today, is when you're reading Scripture, are we putting it together all well? Are we just taking parts where we like, hey, I like this, and then other times we're just like, I'm not really going to worry about the bricks today. And how does putting it all together get us into understanding, reading the scripture, and understanding it properly put together in its fullness. And so the first point is right where we begin is point number one, and it's already written for you, is scripture. Um, When talking about scripture, this is the way that God has chosen to communicate with us. He has used the Holy Bible, and, and now there's so much great stuff in here, right here. This is the the way he's communicated with us. Now, God also communicates in other ways, through the Holy Spirit in other ways, but he might also communicate, and like this guy just learned on this video that we're going to play, is maybe God still communicates in different ways. Let's watch this video. No God, God ain't real, okay? If there was a God, there would be a lightning strike in three, two, one, now. Uh, okay, this is very concerning. <laughs> so he's an atheist. He talks about it. Uh, a lot of his channels, and he's like, if God was real, there would be a lightning strike in three, two, one. And then there's a lightning strike. Uh, God still communicates in other ways. Like, and he communicates in his beauty. He communicates in all this. But in his main communication is through the scripture and how we learn through him. But... Uh, I do like, I like how he goes, that's very concerning. Because the reason why I like that is whenever you experience God, there has to be a decision like a shift in the mind. Okay, is God real? Have you ever read scripture where it's challenged you? Where it's convicted you? Where it's done things to your life? That is the Holy Spirit, God working on you. 
And then that's the challenge of what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Just because you can know information does not mean you do it. You know lying's wrong, but how many of us... Now, let's look back. Through our life, how many of you have said a lie? We've known since the age of three it's wrong. It's the small, it's like the smallest of the sins. Because cheating goes above that, you know, and like builds up, like it builds up to like each sin. And it's like, oh, wait, but they're all sin. But we know it's wrong, but we still do it. Does the scripture convict us? The Bible is one beautiful, unified story. But the Bible also, and the reason why we have to look at it is it communicates in different ways. It, there's, there's, and we're going to get into this, there's different writing styles. There's different, there's poetry and there's all this different kind of stuff. And so when we're reading scripture of how to read it well, how to dig in. And as we're reading scripture, the first thing that I want us to sort of look at is, the first key point is, is authors, Okay. That's the next sort of point. The authors are a great place to start. One, because a lot of times we start knowing when things were written. You know, because if an author lived during a certain time frame, we know that the writings were probably during that time frame or whatever. We also know that in the scripture, we don't know every single author of the scripture. We have our best information that we think that they're these people or we think this but not everyone signed it and then you have other letters that are very clear that are like this is paul (laughs) like this is john this is whatever like it's very clear and it even is clear to who it is written to the reason why i also chose authors is because god specifically chose these authors to build the bible now, the, there are some books, as we talked about, that we don't know, but this is the, that who wrote them, but God works through humans, and this is how God chose to communicate with us. We have to remember that this is how God chose to write it, chose to communicate with us. He is in a relationship with humans, and he has uh, had done this. I like the Bible Project's talk on this. They state, The biblical authors saw themselves as writing words that communicated God's message and carried God's divine authority. They did not see their human participation in the writing as a uh, a disenchantment of the divine nature of the message. Rather, the Bible's divine and authoritative nature squares well with the way God had always created and communicated with and through human beings. As we learn to encounter the scripture as human and divine text, there are huge implications for how we think of its divine authority and how it comes, uh, came into existence. The Bible is human literature artistry crafted to communicate a message, and the Bible is divine. And we can sit together with its authority and divine claims alongside its very public history as literature art. And when we read these divine human words, we encounter uh, another mind through the words and experiences of humans like us, the mind of God, who sees reality and humanity differently and more clearly 
than we would on our, know, on our own. If we really want to know his will, we also uh, need not just to read this in passing. Have any of you read anything in passing and just sort of like, oh, I checked it off. I did it. I read my reading today. And then 10 minutes later, if someone were to ask you, what was that about? You were like, I, did I read today? <laughs> or, yeah, I read. But there was no, it, it's just reading and passing. It's, it's a divine thing that we need to, to go into. And the reason why I sort of wanted to dig into this, and that's why we're authors in the next point, is we're going to start talking about point number three is writing styles. Because a lot of times, I love these authors. These authors are writing in such a ways, I think, not they grab your attention. They grab it. They, they can and grab it. When we do this, we have to get into the mind of the author of what he's writing and his writing styles. And the reason why I say this is when you're reading something, there could be different stuff that happens. Let's take four words, for, except, uh, for example. Why'd you do that? That's it. Why did you do that? Now, let's say I do it like this. Why would you do that? Or it might be differently. It might be a little more soft. Why would you do that? Or it could be funny. Why would you do that? It could be angry. Why would you do that? The way someone communicates, someone even talking, four words in Scripture, or four words in general, uh, talking, the way someone says something means something, right? The way that someone, you see someone's face, the way someone communicates, we don't get that all the time when we read the Scripture. You don't get, like, uh, why, why do you say it that way? Did he say it that way? What did he say? There is a context into it that we need to know. And the reason why I'm asking, talking about authors and writing style, to know his will, to God's will, we need to know better of what the context and the version it is. Because that's why so many times now you see in the world today, you see Jesus, literal shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. I think they've taken it a little out of context. They've made Jesus into much more of like, hey, what are you doing, man? Like, you can take it, and this is what's dangerous, is you can take it and move it to where you want it to be or where it fits nicely into your worldview. And the reason why I want this is when you're reading Scripture, we need to view things through his viewpoint. His way. I'm going to dig in. If you want to write some of these, these are some cool little stats about writing styles. The Bible is actually broken down into many categories, but uh, these are a little bit bigger. Uh, the first one is around 43% of the Bible is made up of narrative, which is more like historical narrative viewpoints to parables. You know, narrative uh, viewpoints is more the the history, the stories, um, and then also parables. Um, 
there are 39 distinct parables of Jesus in the gospel. Um, I love par- uh, parables. I, I was talking before. That, um, I can't get sidetracked. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. But sometimes when you're studying and reading, like I was like, oh, I'll add a nice little thing here to explain parables. And then I spent 20 minutes just diving into what parables were. And I was like, oh, then the whole sermon would be over. So I was like, the parables are so unique because they help explain things, but there is also this hiddenness to it, this hidden beauty to it. And uh, just explaining like not many people understood them and it was hidden. And I also think parables were hidden because um, if Jesus would explain exactly what was going on, uh, Satan probably would not have killed him. You know, there's a hidden spiritual thing because if Satan, think about this, if Satan knew that when he killed Jesus, that at the end that would actually hurt him, why would Satan want him to die? Right? Because Satan wants, Jesus needs, like, Satan would not kill him if he knew that was his ultimate defeat. Like, there's these, these parables, it's a beauty, there's a beautiful thing to this. Like, if you listen to Jesus talk. It's just so awesome and unique. But those are about 43%. Around 33% of the Bible is poetry. And this includes songs, uh, reflective poetry, political resistant poetry, uh, and passionate poetry. And I think sometimes it's like, uh, I think uh, like there's some uniqueness. There's passionate poetry. Sometimes I'm going to be, I know there's kids in here, but they're not paying attention to me anyway. It's like the, the, the Song of Solomon is very sensual, you know, like, in, like, but we, we sometimes at the church, we don't, we ignore it. We no, that's in there. Why is that in there? Like, we got, we have to know why. There's also political. Like, we sometimes love giving our political opinion, but what is it like in a godly way? Have we looked at it through that viewpoint? And there, there's poetry on that. And so there's all this and so that, that, that's about 33%. And then the final 24% of the Bible is basically a prose discourse, which is a matter of fact. Uh, I did not like the, the dull expression because then right after that it goes, this includes sermons, which <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess I'm dull expression. Uh, no, but it includes laws and letters and all those kind of writings. Um, and that makes up about 24%. The Bible is a collection of these ancient Jewish sacred letters, and it's made up of many different literature styles. And each book of the Bible is used as a combination of these styles as a whole, an overarching story in the Bible. Uh, and all in these unique ways. And the reason why I brought this up is as you're reading, if you you can't quite read poetry the same as uh, history discourse. Like, it's different styles. Poetry is this way and this way. And so you have to, when you're reading, you have to be able to understand it and to um, combine it. And that leads to this kind of writing style. And now there are many writing styles, and this is, there are different levels. And we're going to communicate on just one. There's hyperbole. There are many examples of uh, uh, exaggerated for rhetorical effect is hyperbole. There's imagery. Those are symbolic imageries. There, that is like uh, when they're talking about Leviathan 
in Psalm 74 at the creation of Genesis 1. They're talking about this huge Leviathan animal. Like the, You get an image in your head. They are, they are explained for it. There's examples of metaphors. There's exam, uh, and a metaphor would be that of comparison. That of a metaphor would be of Psalms 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, that is a comparison. The Lord is my shepherd. What does he's comparing to a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? There's all these different versions. We're going to dive into one that I find really cool and unique, and that is chiasm. So this is one writing style that I really uh, enjoy. And I know that a lot of this right now seems like I'm sort of talking at a pastoral level, but this is uh, like, a, hey, this is what I want to do, but I want to make it understandable. I want to make it easy, and I want us to make it. When we dig into this, we are getting the scripture out of it. We are getting what is out of this instead of what we want to put into it, what we want to get out of it. <clears throat> Chiasm is a mirrored part writing where you get into one section, and then there's another section, and it mirrors each other. Okay, and I'm going to explain how this works. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to be in Psalms 11 together. This is uh, <clears throat> like the class we're, uh, we're doing. Psalms 11, we're going to be, read the first uh, section. It goes, To the choir master of David, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain? That's the first sort of section. Again, then goes into, For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have filtered their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eye, his eye see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and the scorning wind shall be um, the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Okay. We actually are, during Sunday school, going through the Psalms. We're going through. So we went through this one uh, about six weeks ago, discussed it, talked about it, because we were in Psalm 17 today, and we'll be in Psalms 18 next week. Uh, so we've already sort of digested this, but I want you to take a quick look at something, and I hope we have the, the big slide here uh, going up. This is what it means. So this is the part A. So Yahweh is a refuge to the choir master of David. That's sort of the, and so the first point is, uh, the first verse is, is in the day I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? And part A is Yahweh is a refuge. Then it goes to the next part, B, okay? Righteous, the righteous suffer. And so it says, verses two and three, for behold, the wicked bend their bow. They have fitted their arrows to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Okay, let's go to C. Boom. Yahweh is ruler of all. 
And this is talking verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. Okay, let's go to now B. Okay, the wicked now are punished. And you'll see how this, and so it says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves. And hence, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and the scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. And let's go finish back with A. Yahweh is righteous. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And then it looks like this. So what is so beautiful is it's a mirror folded into each other. So what is happening here is if you look at A, Yahweh is refuge. That is what it's talking about. The righteous suffer. And then what is happening in point number C is actually the main point of Psalms 11. That at the end of the day, that Yahweh is ruler of all. And then it goes back, the, the B is talking to the B up top. And then A is dealing with A up top. Is Yahweh is a refuge. Yahweh is righteous. These are what he is. And the righteous suffer. And B, the wicked, though, be, will be punished. You know, how many times have you thought, well, like, why are right? Think about this. If you just take me for right, why do the righteous suffer? Why are we going through this? But then it sort of answers, no, the wicked will be punished. There is a promise that will be delivered. There, it's this beautiful artistry. It's this beautiful thing that God and David put together. But what is so unique is see is Yahweh's ruler of all. The reason why I'm explaining this and trying to dig in is this is part of reading Scripture that now all of a sudden when you read Psalms 11, it looks a little bit different, doesn't it? It looks a little bit different than just, hey, I checked it off the list. I read it today. I did what I was supposed to do. And the reason why I'm challenging this is because over the next year, we are reading the New Testament together. We are going to be reading it together. And some of you are like, oh, this is too much, like too, and that's fine. But I can guarantee you, we, I'm letting you know that we can dig into it. You can spend time into it. There's commentaries on it. And, and the reason why the Psalms 11 is so beautiful is because at the end of the day, even though that when you feel that the righteous are suffering, that the wicked are su surviving, that Yahweh is ruler of all. That the Yahweh, that God is in charge of everything. There's no dismissing that. And I love that there's so much that Yahweh is righteous and that he is a refuge to this. The reason why I wanted to explain this is because we can do work in understanding the scripture better. And when we understand what the scripture is trying to say, we can better live it out. We can better live it out. So at the end of the day, you can see that Psalms 11, that David is making the point that Yahweh is ruler of all. Which leads to point number five. Is it his will or our perspective? Is it his will or our perspective? 
So we have to ask ourselves, do we take what the Bible is telling us or do we try to fit it into what we want it to say? I think that the reading of the Bible, you will get the beauty out of it in the beginning, but I want us to start seeing it from the writer's perspective or the time and place that it occurs. I was playing a football game, big game. I was playing a football game. I was a defensive back. I'm playing defense. It's the first play of the game. Quarterback hikes it. I go back. Oh, I read. I get a little scared because I was like, if he does a double move, which he fakes me out and then goes long, I'm gonna he'll score a touchdown. But I was like, I think he's not gonna try to risk it and he's gonna throw it short. I guess correctly. I pick it off. I make a move, I score a touchdown, and I go, yeah, excited. Okay, you all got the story. Part of the story. Was I playing a national championship football game? Or was I playing flag football at Huntington University with a bunch of college dudes? (laughs) the national championship. (laughs) Now, the context of the story matters. That's one fact. My celebration, I didn't even really show you how excited I was for a a college touchdown of flag football game. It was flag football. But the story of it matters. The Fullness of it matters. And that's why I think when we do something, we have to do it well. And when we read the Bible, we have to read it well. We can't just take it out of context as, oh, this is what the story is. I also use it in the example. It's one of my most uh, frustrating things. And I'm going to bring it up right now. Is I do not like when the cereal box, when someone opens a cereal box and they open up the cereal and it's like ripped all to shreds. I don't like that because cereal then it goes over and you miss some of the cereal. Now you get most of it, but when they open it, it's like it's almost like someone like Hawk Smash, like an opening. It's like what is going on? And it's like ripped, and then like you try to fold it and put a clip to it, and you can't even do that because it's so messed up. I like it when it's open because then the cereal's gone. I think sometimes that's what like you can get stuff out of scripture. If you just read it, I'm not going to lie. I love seeing it. I'm not saying if you're reading, just read. But sometimes I think we, we miss stuff because we don't open it properly. We don't open it. Instead, we rip it open and stuff goes missing in our part. And then the, we hit a difficult part. And you know what we do? We're like, ah. And I, I've done this. It's like, I trust God. I'll keep reading. Like, I don't understand it. Instead of trying to dive into it, ask other people. Because if I ask someone else what they are think about it or do about it, then they might think that I'm not as smart or they might think that I don't know the stuff. Or like if I, I don't know if I want to read a commentary. You know, I, I don't want to. So we come up with these reasons. And so my thing is, is, how do we read it and how do we dig into it so we understand His will and not try to put things into our perspective. Because so many times people, we were just talking it downstairs, is when people ask difficult questions, it's like, oh, yeah. I don't know. 
which is a good, fine answer. I'd rather have you do that than make something up. But also is, okay, well then how are we going to find out? How are we going to do this together? How are we going to dig in? How are we going to do that? Are we living His will out? Are we living our own world, uh, world out? And the Pharisees struggled with this because they saw the Bible the way they wanted to see it at some times. And take 1 Corinthians 13, 2. We know this verse, and you'll hear this verse, but let me read it out for you. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. It's sort of a little vice versa of what I just said. Because you can fathom it all, but not love, you have nothing. How many Christians do you know today know a lot of stuff about the Bible? They know chiasm, what I just explained. Our poems, our info. But if I or others don't do what God asks, it is for naught. It's for naught. You can know. And that's why I want you guys, you can know the writing styles. You can know all that kind of stuff. But if you don't do, it's for naught. Um, let me, uh, the, the band come up as I finish. So my challenge to you, I challenge you to dig into 1 Corinthians 13 over this week. It's my challenge. It's actually like a homework study. All right? Some of you haven't done homework for 40 years. Well, get back on the horse and dig in. Find out who the author is. Most of you, it's pretty easy. I'll give you a hint. It's Paul. Um, but to who it was written to? Why were they writing to them? What's the time frame? What's the structure? Three, two, one. God shows up. But I ask that you listen to the words and live it out. I want us to see the fullness of Scripture manifested in the way we live it out. So many times, and the reason why I think I focus so much on the, well, Scripture today is we ask so much, what is His will? And too many times we do go to, oh, it's our feelings, or this is what I think it is, you know? And we know many non-believers that live that way. They live moment to moment. They don't have a rock. They don't have it. And my challenge is that we live on the rock. And I'll, I just don't want us to be on the side of the rock. I want us to be on it firmly so we understand it. As we go through the New Testament next year, I want us to feel emboldened by understanding and feeling free to ask questions when we don't understand things. Knowing that you're not less of a Christian as if you're asking questions. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to dig in and we're supposed to understand what it's saying. Know His will by understanding His will, by knowing this. Don't go it by saying, I heard it on a TikTok video. Don't say it that like, oh, I know it because it feels right or it feels good. Our guy would not put pressure on me like that. 
You need to know this so you can live it out. To love properly. Some of you right now haven't been reading this. Some of you haven't been living it out. I want you to go to God, maybe as you worship, and be like, God, I apologize. I repent. We've talked about this. Repent and turn back. I've made the scripture what I wanted to. Repent and turn. Are you angry at God because of something? And you know the scripture's true, but you just haven't fully done it. Turn. Repent and turn. Let the scripture do the work. Don't let John Pells do the work. Don't let your neighbor do the work. Don't let, let the scripture do the work. Let's sing.